continue on hearing about Elijah and how the Lord is uh, using him and uh, how Elijah is experiencing all this in the midst of an unbelieving nation. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me, too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me, too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mehalah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Here ends our reading. Uh, with great enthusiasm, I say the word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Thanks indeed. Let's pray. God, we are glad you speak to us. Not in flamboyance, but in the simplicity of your word that we've just read. That we have printed before us. These words nourish our souls. They instruct us about you and about ourselves and about how we are to live in your image. We pray that you'd accomplish those things in us now by the work of your spirit, whom we need to understand this text. Preach to us indeed, Jesus, that we would know you and your father and your spirit better, and that we would understand our lives and be able to live them to your glory. We pray this, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Elisha was in a state of depression. You see it here, don't you? Um, there are a hundred prophets and there's Obadiah. We've just read about them. Elijah is not the only prophet left yet. When depression speaks, it doesn't always speak accurately. Um, and so Elisha says, I am the only one. Elijah says, I'm the only one left. Um, I was reading uh, someone commentating on this passage here, and they said something something to the effect of, you know, you, you can't argue someone out of depression. Um, just the, 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 the brain is not working. The heart is not working um, in, in regard to the facts, but just overwhelmed by certain things that are, in fact, true that are clouding what is, in fact, true in front. Um, and for Elijah, his world seemed upside down. Um, he was a prophet of the Lord. He had been faithful to the Lord God Almighty, been proclaiming his, 
his ways and his works, and he just didn't see the response that he thought he should. Um, God is true. Uh, Baal is false. He just proved that at Mount Carmel. And even though the, the, the people responded in, in faith, it just didn't seem like that was uh, taking on. And in fact, the, the most significant um, influence for northern Israel turning back to the Lord was Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And they were still against Elijah. In fact, that's why Elijah was there all the way down at Mount Sinai, um, way far to the south. Uh, what is it? A 40-day? Yeah, 40-day journey um, there. And so Elijah seems, uh, looks around and says, "My, so to speak, my world is, is upside down. Uh, everything is as it should not be. Um, perhaps 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to relate as well. Um, today, as believers, and in, in the, the truth of this book, certainly that, that seems much more the case than it was 20 years ago. Um, things that are just, look, this is true, that everybody said, oh, yes, of course, 20 years ago, uh, all of a sudden is earning us persecution. Things are upside down uh, for us for us as believers. We've known it all our lives in terms of really believing in Jesus. If you've been around a while, uh, you know that, that people don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. That used to be the issue. Oh, you believe in a God? Where is he? Does science prove God? And now people have been around long, long enough to, to know that science gets overturned in its various theories and, and it's not always correct and and uh, certain things are true, but certain theories get proven to be false theories. Um, around 2000, TV started to talk about maybe 97 and 98. I know I saw it in Walker, Texas Ranger about that time. Uh, TV started to produce things that were giving acknowledgement to the reality of supernatural things. Um, now for Walker, that was uh, Native American spirits. Uh, and occasionally um, a, a, a true Christian uh, belief in that show. But, but these shows started to, to, to appear uh, a belief in something that was not physical. And, and if you're my age or older or a little bit younger, you know that that was the real beef against Christianity. If it's not physical, then it's not true. If it's not a, 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 a molecule or, or something I can study in biology, then it's not true. But our society has had more time to think about that. that there are things like um, anxiety and depression that are that are real, and um, there's there's this understanding. Um, even Dionne Warwick thinks right that you, those of you who are uh, longer, that uh, older, that uh, there are things outside of reality. Um, but we experience persecution. Our world seems upside down right now in many ways. Uh, and maybe it will get worse. Um, we're not in the place that Elijah was, where people are worshiping statues. So we're not as bad as that. So take heart. Um, uh, Paul was ministering in Corinth, where they had male prostitutes that you engaged with in these pagan temples as part of your worship. We're not there yet. So things were much worse during Paul's day and Jesus' day, uh, much worse during Elijah's day. Yet we have this um, in front of us. Our world seems upside down. Uh, so how do we how do we respond to that? A uh, number of things in this passage. Number one, if you like to fill blanks in an outline, you're welcome to start filling those in. If you want to just listen, that's fine. Uh, but God says to us here through this passage, when the world seems upside down, which does in verses 10 and 14. That's Elijah when he describes himself and what he's facing. Take comfort. Take comfort, for even this is from the Lord. Take comfort, for even this, this upside-down nature of things, is from the Lord. If you look at verse uh, 17 there, um, you get an insight to what it was like if you were reading First Kings hot off the press. I mentioned to you about every other week that 1 Kings was written to those who were in exile in Babylon, like Daniel. 
Daniel got first and second Kings and he read it. Okay, so Daniel and his friends, they were first readers of first first and second Kings as it, as it came to them. And their circumstances were upside down. Uh, they were inheritors of the promised land, but they were not in it. They were not um, experiencing the blessings of God from Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26, which God wanted to give them. They were experiencing the curses for those who turned to other gods. And so things for them were upside down. And so they're looking at this, reading this, and they're saying, Elijah is like us. Things are upside down. Elijah's not in the promised land as he's talking to the Lord. And that's where we are too. And we relate to this as well. We're not in the promised land of heaven where our citizenship is right now. We're not in the new heavens and new earth when where all evil has been cast out and the, the whole earth is the promised land. We just have these little one-week Sunday morning snippets of the promised land when we come into the church and are among the other citizens of heaven and look around and, and we all believe and acknowledge the one true God. Um, and unless we're in depression, we say we've got some comfort here. Um, there, there are some neighbors who also believe. But realize that this comes from the Lord. The Lord was in control with Elisha, with Elijah. Um, he was in control at Mount Carmel. He was in control when the people were exiled into the land of Babylon because God had told them that through Moses, covenant curses, the worst of all covenant curses was exile from the land. This was under God's control. Um, they had been told in exile from the prophets before the exile that you are going to be exiled. This is all part of God's plan that your lives are turned upside down right now. And in this funny kind of way, when our lives are turned upside down right now, we realize God is still in control. We sang this morning, Oh, Father, you are sovereign. God is sovereign over all things. And that's your A point there. God is sovereign. We read, Bob read for us that um, in, in those Second Kings passages, starting in Second uh, Kings chapter 8, we, we read the fulfillment of all these promises. Right here in this passage here, uh, God, God says uh, in verse 7, uh, you know, Elijah's told to, to do these certain things. Anoint, uh, anoint Haziel, king of Aram. That's Damascus or Syria today. Syria, not Assyria, Syria today. Um, and Haziel was going to be God's instrument to bring covenant curses on his own people. And so we read all these instances where Haziel was a curse and a scourge to God's own people. He dominated them and God's people decreased in number, which is a sign of God's cursing instead of his blessing. Um, and then God says in verse 17, look there. Um, one other thing Elijah was to do was to anoint Jehu um, king over northern Israel. And so God says to Elijah, Jehu will put to death any, any who escaped the sword of Haziel. And Elisha, whom Elijah was going to anoint as his uh, succeeding prophet, uh, and Elijah or and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Those who are reading First Kings had experienced this, this threefold sweep of God bringing judgment upon his people and beyond. And so they knew that when something, when, when your world goes upside down, that doesn't mean for us, Jesus has left his throne. That's the message of the book of Revelation as a whole. Just because your life is turned upside down, just because your, your life is threatened because of your belief in Jesus, the message of John and Revelation, it doesn't mean that Jesus has left his throne. In fact, I'll give you, God says to him, Jesus says to him, I'll give you all these visions that show you that I'm on my throne and that those who die in faith are surrounding my throne safe. And that's the case for us too. When the world is upside down, we say, of course, that's to be our response as Christians, of course. And God is still sovereign in this era 
where the world is turned upside down. Again, as we've talked about weeks before, Jesus in John 16, 33, setting the template for his own disciples. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. That's the expectation for us as Christians. Chaos in our lives and Jesus overcoming that chaos in our death, in our deaths, when we are by soul going to be with him and experience that peace. And he overcomes that when he comes again and the meek, us, inherit the earth and the wicked are, are cast out into the lake of fire. So when our world is upside down, we say, of course, this is God's doing. And I'm comforted in that. God is sovereign nonetheless. Look at your declaration of the gospel this morning on the front page. Jesus' communication of this truth that he is sovereign. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head, that's more or less for us men, even the very hair of, of our head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So when your world is turned upside down, remember this. You've got great worth in the eyes of God and that he's got you in the palm in the palm of his in the palm of his hand. Um, Luke twenty two forty two. I finally memorized it after referencing it so many times. This is Jesus in the chaos of his world, when the world is turned upside down, worse than it was for Elijah, at least Elijah gets to live still when God's people are being disobedient and worshiping other gods. Jesus doesn't get to live when God's people are being rebellious and worshiping other gods. When God himself appears to them and they say, no, thank you, we don't want the God that we're claiming falsely that we're following. And so Jesus knows the sovereignty of the Father. He knows the Father's care for him. And so he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays, Father, please take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then from the cross, he says, Father, unto you I commit my spirit he knows the father and the father's plan no matter what chaos that's brought to jesus even death on a cross that the father is even then sovereign and in control and caring for jesus beyond what we see with elijah here and so that's encouraging to us that god is sovereign even in the midst of a world that's turned upside down for us as Christians. And then B, recognize this, that God will be faithful to work out this upside down world and the, the chaos that happens to us. God will be faithful to work it out for your good. God will remain faithful, 2 Timothy 2.13. He will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. We're unfaithful each day, every time we sin. But God is never unfaithful. And he's promised us, right? Romans 8, 28. He works out all things together for the good. That's a promise from him. And he is faithful to that promise each and every time. And so we take comfort in this, that the chaos is from the Lord. He's sovereign in bringing the chaos about, and that in the chaos, he turns it to our good. He turns it to our good, and he's faithful to do that each and every, each and every time. So that's our, that's our uh, declaring our, our, our faith here. We see, you know, even though Jesus goes through his humiliation, um, even death on a cross, and continuing under the power of death for a time, uh, that God is sovereign in all that and cares for Jesus and raises Jesus from the dead, raises him uh, up to heaven, um, sits him at his right hand, 
and gives him rule during this day over the church and uh, the position of judge over all things in the end. So God is, is faithful. God is faithful. He was faithful to Jesus and Jesus' chaos, and he will be faithful to you in the chaos you experience in life. Now, number two, when the world seems upside down, take comfort. Again, take comfort in knowing there are others with faith. Take comfort in knowing there are others with faith. So verse 18, look down there in your Bibles. Verse 18, very last verse we read. God says to Elijah, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him as an act of worship. Um, and so Elijah, you know, they're saying, you know, I'm the only one left. And the Lord says, no, you're not. And the Lord encourages him. There are 7,000 in northern Israel who have not bowed down to Baal, who are faithful. And this is a statement that God gives to Elijah that's true to encourage Elijah that he's not all by himself in his faith. And this is to encourage us. And this is why you know, our, our call to worship this morning from Hebrews you know, 3.13 and, and 10.25 is this call for us to continue in fellowship with one another, to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together because we need this assurance to us. Here are these other individuals who believe in this invisible God that the world says does not exist and is foolishness. It's encouraging for us to see other believers. You know the experience when you're waiting for your tires to be changed or wherever you are and you meet somebody and they say something and it seems like they just said something that indicates they believe in Christ, that they're a Christian. And so you ask them about that. You say, are, are you a believer? Do you believe in, are you a Christian? And they say, yes, I am. Are you too? And you know how your, your, your soul jumps within you, you know, in that tire change place. <laughs> there was once over at Pet Boys there across from Bojangles uh, there and, and was talking to this guy who started evangelizing me. And, and, and so, I, you know, said, hey, are you a believer? I am too. And, and we rejoiced in the salvation that we had. It lifted us up and it, 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 it bolstered us in our faith. And so when the world seems upside down, take comfort in this. There are believers all over the world. There are believers that you see here every every week. Um, and so this is encouraging to us. First Thessalonians beyond this verse, verse 11 of chapter five says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Just in fact, uh, just as in fact you are doing. Now, this is what we see through the book of Acts, too, in the early church as they're being persecuted and as the covenant people, the Jews, are saying this is nonsense and begin persecuting the church. And Peter and John are persecuted by the Jew Jewish ruling council just as Jesus had been persecuted just a couple of months before. And the church gathers together in chapter 4 and they're encouraged as they gather together mutually and, and they pray to the Lord and gather and gather strength and the Lord blesses them there. So be encouraged that there are others with faith in the world. A, even though this may be a small percentage of people on earth. That's Jesus. That's something Jesus just tells us. With If we didn't guess that from the Old Testament, which we could, um, we have that confirmation for us in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this. Enter through the narrow gate, he says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, the gate to destruction. That's what many do. They enter through the gate of destruction. And he says, but small is the gate and narrow and, and narrow the road. Did I say I, broad is the road was for, for those entering destruction. Did I get that right? Okay, but narrow the road that leads to life. Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so we're like Elijah, aren't we? 
We're like these exiles in Babylon, aren't we? Even among the exiles, there were just a few that believed and the rest remained unbelieving. Daniel prays about that in Daniel 9. He says, we haven't repented as a people. We're still, you know, just over here thinking we're okay and blaming you. Um, but Jesus says there are only a few who find this, this gate that's small, the gate that leads to life. Jesus says in John 10, I am the gate. Only a few find him. Now, we spread the gospel widely. We're commanded to do that because we don't know who are the, the small percentage who will find Jesus in our preaching of the gospel to you know, our friends and relatives and such. Um, but we know this, that it'll always be a small group. So don't don't think that it's, you know, one day society is all going to be pro Jesus because you'll be heartbroken. OK, Jesus didn't tell his disciples everyone's going to believe. He said, no, you're going to have troubles, but take courage. I overcome the world. Um, you'll you'll be persecuted. Um, and so, you know, s set your mind for that. But no, there will always be, you know, for us, not just seven thousand in the world, but more than that. But still. That's a very small percentage of northern Israel, 7,000. Uh, by and large, every, everyone had followed the Baals, um, along with the king and the queen. Um, so it'll be a small percentage of people on earth. Um, but recognize this. Uh, you have it, B. You have it in this way, that is, fellowship. The encouragement of people who believe. You have it in this way much better than Jesus. You and I, in this way, have it much better than Jesus. Um, as Elijah had it better than Jesus. Mark 14, 27, Jesus speaking to his disciples. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will sh strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus had to go it alone, didn't he? He didn't have a group of people to look around when he was and see when he was being testified against before the Sanhedrin. He didn't have a group of disciples knocking on the door when he was being tried, saying, wait, let me talk about Jesus. Let me talk for him and why you should believe in him. And at the cross, he was abandoned, except for his mother. <laughs> You moms know how that is when you say, way to go. And you say, oh, it doesn't matter. You're just my mom. You say, that no matter what. Right. <laughs> His mother and her friends there. Um, maybe it looks like John was there too, cowardly hiding, probably not being real bold. Uh, Jesus had to go it alone because we deserted him. Um, he had no human fellowship. Nobody there understanding who he was until after he spoke to them on Sunday. They still, they didn't get it. They didn't get he's the second person of the Trinity. They didn't get that when David spoke in Psalm 16 and said, you will not abandon my, my life to the grave, that David, it wasn't just David saying, I'm not going to die in this cave. That's what David was saying. But it comes true of Jesus in this much greater way that the king of God's people, God does not abandon him even physically to the grave. It's only three days and, and God the Father rescues him from the grave. And this is what Peter re-explains to the people at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This wasn't just about David, for we know, Peter says, that David did die and his body did decay. But Jesus, his great son, the Christ, was not abandoned to the grave, and we've seen him. But Jesus was abandoned by us. Um, his disciples did not understand. There was nobody there saying, I get it, Jesus, I know, and these people are wrong. Jesus alone understood who he was. He was uh, utterly uh, forsaken on the cross. So for us, um, we need these other believers. Jesus could do it as second person of the Trinity. He knew who he was. He was not confused. 
He knew, as the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus knew the Father would be faithful to him and that his soul would be with the Father right then, as he says to the criminal on the cross, today I'll be with you in paradise. He knew his body would return to the Father 43 days later upon the ascension. Jesus knew this and he could endure without fellowship. He could be faithful without others saying, hey, come on, get up. But we're sinful humans with sin nature, with a sin nature. And we need to know, like Elijah needed to know, there are 7,000 others. There are other people who believe. And so the writer of Hebrews says this to us, like in our call to worship. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all, and all the day, as, as we see, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Now, number three. Number three. So we have it better than Jesus because we have fellowship. So take advantage of fellowship. You know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You're the ones who are at worship week, week in and week out. Just know you need this. You need this. There, there is something you get from being here. Number three. Number three. When the world seems upside down, God's word, the Bible, that's your blank. The Bible is important to you. Um, when the world seems upside down, realize the Bible is important to you. God communicates uh, this um, to those who were reading this in exile. And, and he's communicating this. You know, God speaks to you even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of the world being upside down. The world was upside down. There was chaos in Israel before the exile. And God kept pushing back the exile because there would be a faithful king or some show of faithfulness. We'll see here in another chapter so that even Ahab's going to be faithful a couple of times. And God's going to push back the judgment that was coming on Ahab um, there, but which God does gladly. Uh, but but there's this, there's this chaos going on and that God had spoken to them in the midst of the chaos through prophets who came during times of God's, or of God's people's unfaithfulness, prophet after prophet, most of whom, you know, the prophets that you read in the Bible are, are preaching and ministering before the exile. But then there were also prophets. Ezekiel was with these folks in exile. They were hearing the words of Ezekiel. They probably had the text of Jeremiah, even though Jeremiah had gone down to Egypt in exile. Probably the text of his book, Reached the Exiles too, was sent in that direction. And so they could know God is still speaking to us today, even in the midst of our chaos. And he has a good, encouraging word for us today, even in the midst of our chaos. They knew two things from the prophets, from God speaking to them. One was you're going to be exiled for your unfaithfulness to me. Two is I will not abandon you forever. That was one of the message of the, the pre-exile prophets. And that was part of the message of Jeremiah and Ezekiel who were ministering during the time of the exile to the people in Babylon. Uh, they were ministering and saying, God will not abandon you forever and he will bring you back to the land and make it once again a place of great prosperity for you. And so this is the message and God communicates this. He gives us all these Moses images, doesn't he? Um, just as God spoke to Moses and showed himself in wind and earthquake and fire. And I feel like singing groove tonight. Let's groove tonight. Earth, wind and fire. Um, <laughs> now I've got that tune in my head. Um, but just as God spoke in this way, he made the earth tremble uh, at Mount Sinai. He appeared on the mountain in fire. Uh, and then he speaks to Moses. Um, what else have we got? Oh, you know, you got the smoke and the, and the wind coming through and God speaking in wind and showing up in wind, bringing in locusts back in Egypt, uh, clearing out the Red Sea through wind. This, these were signs of God's presence among the person he was using to communicate to his people. Okay, so God put these signs around Moses as signifiers that God was speaking through Moses, listen to him. Now here with Elijah, you've got the same thing. God is surrounding Elijah with these signs and communicating to these signs to people whose worlds were upside down in exile, saying, I speak through Elijah. I'm the God who shows up in an earthquake 
in fire and in wind and in a small, gentle voice as well. Okay, so God is speaking. That means the Bible is something important for us when we're living in a time where our world is turned upside down. We need Moses. We need Elijah. And we need we need this book to, to guide and direct us. So A there. Why do we need the Bible? Well, we're, we're to understand that what it says is true. What it says, what the Bible says is true. And what it says will happen, what, what it says will happen, will happen. <laughs> what the Bible says will happen, will happen. And so verse 15 and verse 17, uh, Elijah's told, you know, to, to anoint uh, Elisha as the new prophet. That happens. All those reading first and second Kings know that happens. They know of Elisha. Elisha did more miracles than Elijah had done. Um, they know that Haziel became king of Aram and that for all Haziel's reign, he pestered Israel and brought them trouble. And they know that, in fact, Ahab's house ended ruling its rulership um, over northern Israel um, after uh, a lot, after Ahab's second son uh, is reigning, um, that, that God brings an end to that through another king, Jehu. So if you're reading First and Second Kings, you're in exile, you know all these things God told Elijah to do, those things all happened. And that's a message for those in exile, isn't it? Everything God says that will happen, will happen. What has God said in our future? Our God has said in our future that we'll be returned to the promised land and that things will be prosperous again. The, the prophets have told us that, that God will present, past, I'll get it right, future tense. That God will not abandon us. He will return us to the promised land. What's that tell us as believers? God will, when you die, bring your soul to heaven immediately. Just like he did with Paul. Right? Paul said to be at, away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. God will be faithful to that promise. What God said will happen, your soul will be immediately with Jesus upon your death. That will happen. And when Jesus comes back, Jesus will, cast, he will bring everyone to final, everyone into to this final judgment and he will judge every deed, including every hidden thing, as the, Solomon said at the end of Ecclesiastes. Um, he'll bring even every hidden thing to judgment. That will happen. God will bring that. God will bring that about. And so we hope for that, that we will one day be on this earth again in our bodies, which will no longer decay. I was supposed to run a marathon yesterday. Haven't been able to run since June 10th. I started running for about three weeks and I have had to quit. Uh, but, you know, our, our bodies decay. But, but God has said he's going to give us a body like Jesus, an imperishable body. First Corinthians 15, imperishable. Randy's going to be ride, ride his bike all day long, right? Sun up to sun down. Well, I guess, you know, maybe not sun up to sun down, but I mean, as long as he wants to, you know, and I'll be able to run all day as long as I want to. And you who hate running, you'll be able to run all day and you'll like it. <laughs> Enjoying God's nature, you know, and, and, and no weeds and and food growing and our you know favorite foods to, to eat. Maybe there'll be different kinds of foods that'll be even better than our favorite foods. God has promised these things and know that he is faithful to this to bring it about. Okay, so that's the first thing. You know, God's people could recognize here in this passage, First uh, Kings 19, God predicted all these things. Now, those who were first reading it knew that all these things had happened. So they could also know that the things God had promised return to the promised land that hadn't happened would happen. And we can know our return to the promised land will happen. The promised land for our souls when we die before Jesus comes back is heaven. That will happen. Our souls will be with Jesus in heaven. And when Jesus comes back, the body and soul will be with the Lord on the earth with no evil present. And no, and when we see him, First John four, we will be like him, for we'll see him as he is. No sin nature, no temptations, no desire to sin, no internal struggle 
to do what's right. Just simply doing what's right. That'll bring us great joy. Right? Um, so that's a great, that's a great thing. Know that that will happen. That's the message here. Haziel happened. Jehu happened. Elisha happened. God's promises to us in the future as Christians will happen. And then B, the Bible is, pro, uh, is important for you today as we live in a world upside down because it will guide, that's your blank, it will guide you in how to live. It will guide you in how to live. Now, Elisha, Elijah is lost now. Not lost in terms of salvation. But he's just spinning, right? He's, he's 40, a 40 day trip away from the promised land. Um, his, his work has come to naught, at least in his own view. Um, thinks he's the only believer around. Um, it, it's just, it looks, it looks crazy. And God gives him a new mission, doesn't he? Kind of sets him on course again. Something to do. I was depressed about something uh, one, one time. I, uh, our mother church pastor, Terry Trailer looked at, looked at me and he grabbed my knees and he said, okay, John, where do we go from here? And that's what I needed. You know, it's, it's okay to, to mourn the bad things that have happened to you in the past. It's okay to mourn the, the things that are going on right now in your lives that aren't right and should not be. And it's okay to say those things should not be. That's the Psalms. Right, that's David saying, God, this shouldn't be. That's Job for how many chapters, right? 38 chapters. God, this shouldn't be. I've been more faithful to you than, than anybody. And that was right. He had. That's why he was enduring the suffering. Uh, but but in the midst, in the midst of that, when the, the world you know seems upside down, we, we get this little nudge from God. Okay, that's all true. Now walk with me. Walk with me. If your dad, lead your kids. If your mom, care for your kids and lead them. If your kid, be loving to your parents and be grateful to the Lord that he's given you these parents that, that feed you and teach you stuff and give you a, a house to live in. If you're employed, be thankful that God has given you, given you a job and be submissive to your boss as far as he doesn't ask you to do something that's immoral. Um, and, and, and walk in my ways. Do these things that are, be patient with people, be kind, be compassionate, get on that course. Your, your mission is, is just walking in the ways of God's moral law. God sets Elijah on this course and he gives him some specific things to do and it gets Elijah probably, it looks like, out of his funk. Okay. Uh, and so this is a guide in, in, in living. And so we see this in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. What is the word of God? You know, we find out, okay, the word of God is inspired by God. But what does it do? It sets us on how to live. It, 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 it teaches us, but it, so how to live, but it rebukes us. It corrects us. This is all instruction in how to live. It guides us on the paths of righteousness, as the, the, the David says in Psalm 23. And so God gives us the Bible's important for us because in the midst of this chaos and the, the world we're living in where things are upside down, God instructs us in how to live. And that keeps us sane a little bit, at least, doesn't it? Because we know even though the world says don't be patient, even though the world says don't be kind to those who have been up and kind to you, don't, be, don't, don't pray for those who persecute you, God's word sets us on course and says no. God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. So pray for those who persecute you. Be kind to those who are cruel to you. So the Bible guides you in how to, in how to live. Um, number four, number four. When the world seems upside down, expect God to speak the Bible through. Okay, ready for this? This really speaks to American evangelicalism today. Um, when the world seems upside down, expect God to speak the Bible through unspectacular, unspectacular, sometimes depressed, and often not popularly accepted ministers he ordains. So when the world seems upside down, expect God to speak the Bible through unspectacular, sometimes depressed, and often not popularly accepted ministers he ordains. Um, this is all, you know, verses 9 through 15 is all, you know, this is Elijah. 
He's not popular. His message is not popular. He's depressed here. And even he hears the Lord in an unspectacular way. Yeah, we've got the fire and the earthquake and all that kind of thing. But when God speaks, he's not speaking to Elijah in the fire. He's not in the fire. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the mighty wind. He's in the gentle voice. Um, God's prophets were generally not spectacular people. Um, Elijah, or sorry, Ezekiel, uh, was not a spectacular person. Ezekiel, ministering in, he's in exile. He was one of the exiles in the second exile, 597, who got carted off with the bulk of God's people into Babylon. Then he begins to prophesy in, in exile. You know, Ezekiel is, is, is downtrodden. He's one that's rejected by the people. Um, he's one that's not uh, spectacular. He has to do things that are humiliating uh, to show to show God's to go, show God's truth. And he's not certainly he's uh, depressed. Um, Jeremiah, who is ministering uh, during this time of exile, uh, he's put in a pit and then in prison by the by the king in Israel uh, in between the second and third exiles in the in the 590s. Um, not accepted, sometimes depressed, certainly unspectacular. And so as God's people heard even the book of first and second Kings, they were to understand, don't, don't look for the earth to shake for God to speak. Don't work, look for fire to come down from the sky like it did at Mount Carmel. Uh, don't look for a mighty wind to blow. Just listen to this prophet that I've put among you, Ezekiel. Listen to his words. I know he's not mighty. He's downtrodden. He couldn't overcome, couldn't lead us up and uh, against the Babylonians to keep us out of exile. But God speaks. God speaks through him. Um, I want you to turn back to 1 Corinthians. Uh, Bob read it for us. It was our New Testament reading after our heads quit spinning from looking at all the things in the Old Testament uh, showing uh, all those things were showing how God had fulfilled his promises to um, Elijah. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. I'll give you a moment to locate that. The world's picture of things, just background to this as you're turning, the world's picture of things is follow the spectacular, follow the powerful. Uh, follow the, the flashy. And, and the world presents uh, success is, is, is numbers and popularity, right? If you don't have numbers and popularity, you can, you know, I can run for president as a write-in, but I'm not going to win. <laughs> um, but God's economy is very different. The way God does things is very different. He doesn't pick, you know, Eliab, the oldest son, he picks David, the youngest son, who even his brothers despise. Well, there's David. He's so important. He's taking care of the sheep. You know, and then he comes to fight Goliath and, and they're like, go away, David. Right? The despised one, David is. A young boy, um, still blushing like a little kid who comes in from playing the touch football out in the yard during the fall. You know, his face is flushed. That's who David is. God just, he works in this way. He uses the, the, he doesn't use Saul, who's a whole head taller than everybody else. He uses David, who, who is a shepherd boy. Um, but, but look at what, um, look at what um, uh, Paul says about himself. When he first came to Corinth, this great trading city of the, the, the nation of Greece, very wealthy city, some philosophers there as well, uh, rich in religion, false religion. He says this, 127, 1 Corinthians 127, but God chose the foolish things of the world. He's talking about himself. This is Paul talking about himself. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's talking about Greek philosophers. The foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world. He's talking about himself. He was weak physically to shame the strong, the good-looking Greek statue man. We had a, a, um, a boss at one time, and he had this wonderful face 
with a divot right there, like like uh, John Travolta. And, and his wife said, doesn't he just look like a Greek statue? And I said, he does. You know, he's just strong looking guy and full head of hair and it's the good looking man. But, um, <laughs> but uh, he says, uh, you know, to shame the strong, I chose the lowly things of this world, verse 28, and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Verse 29, so that no one may boast before God. Verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, so not wisdom from the world. We have wisdom from God. Wisdom from God um, and our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Verse 31, therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Verse one, when I came, when I came to you, brothers, now he makes sure they know he's talking about himself. When I came to you, brothers, uh, I did not come with eloquence. I mean, speaking fancy words or superior wisdom, talking about things that sounded just, oh, man, isn't this this, this fine argument? And when you are taught in the church something that's very uh, esoteric or hard to understand, it's probably false. Because God speaks to all his people, not just those with PhDs. Okay, so if you hear teaching in the church that sounds grossly philosophical, um, don't say, oh, this is advanced stuff. Say, mm, I'm suspicious. Because Jesus spoke to prostitutes and, and, and people who were lowly, and it meant something to them. And he talked to them truth on, on the level of crops and taxes and something, things everyone understood. But he says, I came to you, brothers. I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Uh, and so this is what we look for. Second uh, Corinthians 1, 8, similarly, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we despaired even of life. Um, this is this is who you listen to, the Apostle Paul. And what's true of the Apostle Paul? Persecuted, unpopular, weak, not eloquent in words, not proclaiming stuff that people go, ooh, ah, boy, isn't that a complicated truth? And boy, I understand this. Or I'm going to pretend that I did so that I feel good about myself. <laughs> if it's complicated, it's probably not true. Um, not that God's not deep, but God's depth comes to comes to people in the way they understand whether they're you know Blake's age or you know Arthur's age. Okay. Um, so A um, to put some flesh on this for you. Um, God speaks through ministers he, who he ordains who are sometimes depressed. They don't have to be. It's okay if you have a minister who's not sometimes depressed. But typically uns, unspectacular and typically not popularly accepted. And A, not through flashy people with bright lights. It's not that truth can't come through this. You know, obviously you have a, a spectacularly handsome pastor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we do not exist in an, uh, a realm of spectacularness. Uh, we've got chairs that were bought in 1996 that we sit in uh, with um, curtains that are falling apart here and there. We've got a red plastic clock on the back um, that we can look at. Um, yeah, we are not spectacular. Um, and, and we're not gathering people because we're spectacular, and that's a good thing. Um, but it's not through flashy people and bright lights, um, but often through suffering, through men suffering hardship and rejection. That's God's ordinary. As you look through Scripture, what's Moses' experience? Suffering and rejection. Rejection from the Egyptians he grew up with and rejection from his own people who said, who made you leader over us when he rescues one of his own people from an Egyptian beating him? Um, this is the treatment of the prophets. That's what Jesus declared. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and everyone God sends to you. 
And so we're alerted as Christians. Listen to those. And here's what Paul does in 2 Corinthians when he writes to the church there. There were flashy people with bright lights who had taken the, um, the fancy or, uh, that, that the people in Corinth had taken the fancy of. And, she, and, and Paul says to them, you like them because they're fancy and they're untouched and they're good looking. And here's my resume. I've been beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and rejected. And you alone and your faith, they're the letters of our recommend. Those are the letters we offer as our letters of recommendation. And so just know this as you take in truth in the church. Beware of the flashy. Uh, beware of the good looking. Don't follow someone who looks like Tony Robbins, right? That's a guy who pulls people in because he's flashy and good looking. Okay, and, and we don't want to do that. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, in jars of clay. Now B, a B, um, so not through flashy people with bright lights, but B, it is, sub, it is substance and God's words in the Bible that you're to learn from. Substance and God's words. So look at substance, not flash and, and not spectacularness. Um, so uh, you look at substance in the Bible. It's it's Psalm 119, 98. It's God's commands that make us wiser than our enemies. Not our being in a church that has it all together. Um, smoke and lights and show. Um, I sent the the session, a, a, a text I got um, last week or the other week that uh, here's how to make your worship service um, a great presentation. You know, we all just laughed because we know as a session we have we present Jesus. We're, this isn't a show. We're not creating a show. We, we have gaps and silence in the between the elements of worship in our service. Because this is not a show. We don't need the, the ending of a prayer to begin immediately, you know, be followed immediately by strumming guitars. Right? <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. That got a laugh. Matthew's doing that. I was just imitating him there. But it's substance that we follow. Um, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Um, as it's taught and, and, and you're, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And then thirdly, uh, note that Jesus, the apostles and the prophets, let's see, Jesus, the apostles and the prophets, those who spoke God's true words were not widely received. That's how John starts his gospel. John 1, 11, Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. And then the next verse, verse 12, we know better. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. But the verse before that is Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. This is the history of God's people. Those who are widely received are suspect. Those who are narrowly received. Now, be careful. You don't want to follow a cult leader. That's why we put in there stuff from the Bible. Um, but but um, Jesus, uh, the apostles and the prophets uh, were not widely received. Uh, Jeremiah 37 and 38, that's Jeremiah uh, in a cistern, which is a, a dried up well, basically, um, fearing for his life that he'd have no food. And a faithful person comes and, and, and rescues him and speaks to him, to the king. And then Jeremiah is in prison as well. Now, D, D, when seeking a teacher, when seeking a teacher to help you understand scripture, um, in contrast to uh, flashy and, and bright lights, uh, when seeking a teacher to help you understand scripture, no frills and unvarnished just may be the truest. And that's with an E, not an I like the bank. Truest. Uh, <laughs> uh, no frills and unvarnished may be the truest. So lean toward that. Have your leaning be toward, you know, like the workmen's have found a little church down east when they go, you know, uh, um, spend a weekend down east since this little church. But it teaches truth you know and you can go to you know big church with flashy lights that gives you nothing and you don't want that that's the wrong priorities that's the wrong understanding of where god typically speaks from and he typically speaks from the small gentle voice not the fire not the earthquake 
not the not the blowing wind um just the just the simple um just this book um typically despised so summary when the world seems upside down remember these four things when the world seems upside down remember that god is sovereign a god is sovereign remember that b that there are other believers in the same plight as you remember that there are other believers in the same plight as you so that can comfort you that god is sovereign there are other believers and C, remember that it's important for you to look to Scripture for truth of how to live. It's important for you to look to Scripture for truth of how to live. Don't just wallow in the thought that, that the world is not as it should be, because it never will be as it should be until Jesus comes back. So look to Scripture and, and uh, know that that's going to guide you and how to live during this world turned upside down, uh, period. And then D, um, remember to look for Bible teachers of substance and not flash. Now, it's not that a good looking person can't bring you substance, but, but your standard is substance. And you say, I don't care uh, what he looks like. I don't care what the church looks like. What I care about is that there is substance and the substance is defined by how is this book uh, read and proclaimed and, and taught? Is this is the message I'm hearing coming and being proven from this from this book? Let's pray.